First Corinthians chapter nine. First Corinthians chapter nine. So we're going through a study of First Corinthians. And Paul is dealing with some things in the church at Corinth that need to be corrected. And uh, tonight, Paul is giving himself as an example to the Corinthians. He wants to set his life before them and let it speak to them. And one of the first things that he does is remind them that he doesn't fit people's molds. And if you're like me, you've had that happen to you in your life. You didn't fit someone else's mold. And the Bible even says in Romans 12, 2, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the word conformed there literally means don't let the world push you into its mold either. And Paul is saying to them and reminding them, look, the Corinthians and others was questioning his apostleship, his authority in Christ. And it was all because he did not fit other people's molds. For instance... Back in chapter 1, he talks about the fact that you're complaining that my message is too simple. Because I preach Christ crucified. I, I just preach Christ. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not flashy, it's not fancy. And then the second thing that you complain about that I don't fit into the mold is that I don't come with this eloquence that other, you know, Corinthian speakers come with. And, and I don't come with flash and all that. He says, I come in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I come in trembling. Uh, I come in fear, but but I come in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that doesn't fit their mold either. And then finally tonight we're going to see, and the other reason that Paul doesn't fit in their mold is he doesn't charge them for ministry. And they're like, you know, they, they sort of have the, the uh, attitude that, well, if we're not paying for something, it's probably not any good. And so they're like, Paul just, he just doesn't fit the mold. And, and I hope tonight that one of the things that we all get from this is that certainly we want to be pliable in God's hands. And we want to let God shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. No doubt about that. But we do not want to live our lives allowing other people to shape us into what they want us to be. As I've said to you many times before, we should never let anybody define our lives other than God. And Paul had grown to the point where he was as we say, comfortable in his own skin. He, he was relaxed in who he was, who God created him to be, and what God called him to. And we all have to get to that point too. Instead of living our lives for the expectations of others, we've got to live our lives, as we say, for the audience of one, God himself. He's the ultimate one that we need to please. And so Paul's sharing that with them. That's why he starts out in chapter 9, verse 1, by saying, am I not free? The word there means freeborn. Paul was a Roman citizen even though he was a Jew. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord on the road to Damascus? Are you not my work in the Lord? By the way, the word work there means one's focused energies. Paul says, my focused energies was you, the Corinthians. Therefore, he goes on in verse 2 to say, if I am not an apostle to others, 
At least I am to you, for you are the confirming sign. In the Greek, the seal of my apostleship. The word in the Greek means authentication, proof. In other words, Paul's saying, the work that God did through me in reaching you with the gospel and seeing you spiritually grow and mature, that was a confirmation, that was a proof that God was in me and working through me. Paul says, you're it. That's why he goes on to say, this is my defense to those who examine me. And the word examine there means to scrutinize. You and I are always going to have people in our life who scrutinize us. Who put us under the microscope. And listen, any of us, if we're put under the microscope, you know, you're going to see stuff. And we don't like it when other people put us under the microscope. So we need to be careful that we don't go around putting other people under the microscope either. In a sense, Paul's saying, that's exactly what some people, I can't win no matter what I do, Paul said. If, if I live this way, then these people are mad at me. If I do this, then this group over here has something to say about it. Paul said, I just had to learn to follow what God wanted for my life. And not try to please everybody. As he says to the Galatians, we cannot really be servants of Christ if we're trying to please people all the time. Just no way. So hopefully tonight we have already seen that Paul didn't fit people's molds. And you and I aren't always going to fit people's molds either. But if we're allowing God to shape us into the mold of Jesus Christ, that's the only thing that really matters. And we need to down deep in our heart just know that we're doing what God wants us to do. We're being obedient. We're doing what He's called us to do. And let the reactions of people just sit where they are. And that's exactly what Paul was saying. Now, with that, Paul is saying, because I'm an apostle, the next main point that he wants to make is, he wants to build a case. And, and if you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, man, he's like a lawyer sometimes. He he puts forth a pretty good case. And in, in this text, he's really putting forth a very detailed account of the fact that he has the right to receive uh, payment for his ministry, basically. He has that right. But he's going to argue here that even though I have that right, I choose not to exercise that right. And it ties really right in with what he has said in the last couple of chapters to the Corinthians about the fact that he says, guys, there are times as a Christian where we might have the permission, we might have the right to be able to do something. But we've always got to balance our right with the spiritual welfare of other people around us. And that's why Paul told the Corinthians, so... If you think in that context, if it's okay to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols, but your brother or sister could some way be spiritually harmed by that, Paul said it would be better for you to give up that right. You know that there's no problem with it, but you don't want to harm your brother and sister in Christ, so you give up that right. So Paul's basically now using himself as an example of that. He says, guys, I have the right to be paid for my ministry. But I am choosing intentionally not to exercise that right. Let's begin to see how Paul builds the case for the right to be paid. First of all, he uses just 
common sense, logic, the ways of the world, and then he brings Scripture. And he says, Scripture teaches that we who are ministry full-time, you know, deserve in a sense to be paid for that. So he starts out in verse 4, do we not have the right to financial support? Do we not have the right to the company of a believing wife, like other apostles and the Lord's brother in Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I lack the right not to work? Whoever serves in the army at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit, who tends a flock and does not consume its milk, Am I saying these things only on the basis of common sense? Or does the law not say this as well? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while he is treading out the grain. God is not concerned here about oxen, is he? Or is he not surely speaking for our benefit? It was written for us because the one plowing and threshing ought to work in hope. The word hope means anticipation, expectation of enjoying, as Paul goes on to say in verse 10, the harvest. If we sowed spiritual blessings among you, is it too much to reap material things from you? If others receive this right from you, are we not more deserving? So Paul here, in the first 12 verses basically now, besides talking about the fact that I understand I don't fit into people's molds, but I'm doing exactly what God's called me to, and then he builds the case for the right that he has as an apostle to, in a sense, be supported by the people of God for doing what he does. But notice what he says going on in verse 12. But we have not made use of this right. Boom. That's one of the key phrases in the whole chapter. Because again, Paul's using himself as an example. He's saying to these Christians, and this isn't just about financially supporting people in ministry, he says, again, this principle goes across the board. Earlier on, it was dealing with sacrificial meat and stuff. He says, look, there are times in our life as a Christian where we may have the right. And of course, as I said, we live in a world today that it's all about people wanting their rights. You know, I have the right to do this, or I have the right. This, this is my right. And we have to understand as Christians, there may even be times where we have the right But we also have the power to choose not to exercise that right if by exercising that right we may harm the cause of Christ or harm someone else around us. We've got to learn to use restraint. So in this passage, if you really want to break it down, what Paul is doing here is he's he's telling them and reminding them who he is. He's telling us, this is who I am. And this is what I'm about. But the, the passage I really want to get to, and we're going to get to it in a few minutes, is the very last part of this chapter where he says, this is why I do what I do. Because to me, that's the most powerful part of it. Not just who he is, because all of us, you know, God created us unique. So you're not Paul, I'm not Paul. And what God's called you to do, and what God's called Paul to do and me to do is different. But I will say this, the motivation, if you will, behind it all should be the same for all of us whether it's Paul or whether it's us. So we're going to get to that in just a moment. So then Paul goes on to say, here's why I chose not to use this right. He said, we endure everything. By the way, the word endure there means to absorb without complaint. Wow, that's a great word, isn't it? A great picture. To absorb something without complaint. 
you know, we can go through something, but many times we gripe and moan and complain. Paul said, no, that's not the way to endure it. We endure everything so that we may not be a hindrance to the gospel. Paul's concern wasn't exercising his right. Paul's concern was, I want to make sure that whatever I do is not going to cut into the progress of the gospel of Christ. And I think, I mean, this is just my own view on this. That because Paul's ministry primarily was not to churches, I mean, he planted churches. He got them going like the church in Corinth. But then he moved on. Primarily, God called Paul to an evangelistic mission of reaching Gentiles for Jesus Christ. And therefore, the majority of people that Paul worked with anyway were unsaved people, if you will, at the time. And he did not want money, if you will, to be a hindrance to people coming to Christ. And so he, he had the right, but he says, as I think about this, I would rather just work myself and let it go that way. And so in verse 13, he says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple eat food from the temple? Going back to the fact that, hey, we had the right to do this. Those who serve at the altar receive a part of the offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel to receive their living by the gospel. So Paul's saying, look, it's what God wants. But again, God gives us the choice, even within those things that, that he is saying, this is the way I want it. He says, but... If you choose not to do it that way, that's up to you. Now again, we're not talking about obedience or disobedience as far as a clear command of Scripture. Paul's saying, I'm not the only one in a sense sacrificing here. I'm not hurting Christ in any way. I'm not hurting the gospel in any way. In fact, I'm trying to promote the God. I'm not hurting anybody else by me personally refusing to receive money for my ministry. And so he says, I had that right. But he goes on to say in verse 15, But I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing these things so that something will be done for me. He's like, I'm not poor-mouthing so that it's like, Oh, we need to take up a collection for Paul. You know, no. He says, in fact, it would be better for me to die than. No one will deprive me. Lessen the force is literally what the word deprive means of my reason for boasting. Paul's going to go on to say, hey, I can feel good about the fact that I refuse to exercise my right. Let me, let me alone. Let me do it that way. You know, don't, don't question my apostleship. It's my choice whether I want to be supported or not. Let me, let me make my choice and live with it. If I have to struggle more because of me, then that's on me. I'll absorb it without complaint. But don't question my apostleship over it. Then he goes on to say, for if I preach the gospel, I have no reason for boasting because I am compelled to do this. Paul's also going to tell the Corinthians and us that, look, I didn't really have a choice in this matter. God put me in the midst and said, this is what you're going to do. He, the Lord met me on the road to Damascus. I was blinded. I, I, the light bulb came on in my life. I finally recognized that the Jesus that I was persecuting was the Messiah. He is my Messiah. He is the Lord and Savior. I'm going to give my life now to serving Him. And, and he said, you know, Lord, what would you have me to do? And of course, at that moment, all God wanted him to do was to go into the city 
and reach out to a man named Ananias and hook him up with him. So Paul goes on to even say, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The word woe means severe consequences, which will cause pain. <laughs> in other words, Paul, Paul is echoing something that I'm sure you and I have been in those places at times in our life where we just knew. We knew that this is what God wanted us to do. And if we didn't do it, it was going to be woe on us. I'll give you two quick examples from my life. One, going into the ministry and becoming a pastor. I knew that's what God wanted to do. And I was miserable until I surrendered. And that was, and then the, the other time is starting the Oasis Church. It was like, I mean, I could, it was like, woe is Jeff if I don't do this. Painful concept, because I, clearly this is what God wanted me to do. In a sense, he compelled me. He, the word compel also is very interesting. It, it led to the usage of the word ache. It's like Paul saying, I ached until I did or am doing what God wants me to do. And at, at times as Christians, we, we wrestle with God and his will for our lives and what we know he wants to do. And it's almost like we're going to ache until we finally let, in a sense, get in that and say uncle and give in and let God have his way. So verse 17, Paul says, for I do this voluntarily, if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. In other words, if this was my own choice, then I get a reward for it like anybody would. But he says, if I do this unwillingly, I am entrusted with the responsibility. Great words here. First, the word entrusted. God placed confidence in Paul. And, and God places confidence in us. Think about the things the people that God has entrusted to you. God is placing confidence in us that we will manage whatever our stewardship is. And then Jesus says, if you and I are faithful in the little things, if we're faithful in what God's given us, He'll give us more to be responsible for. And so Paul reminds us all about that stewardship, that entrustment. And then he says, with a responsibility. The word responsibility means oversight and management of someone else's property. In other words, Paul recognizes what we need to recognize. that The things that God places into our hand to manage is really His, not ours. Ultimately, it's all His and it's all for His glory. And He gave it to us and we're just managing it for Him. Trying to be good stewards. And Paul recognizes that as well. What then is my reward, Paul says, that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel free of charge. He says, that's my reward. That, that's what makes me feel good, so that's why I chose to do it. Paul said, I have the right to get paid, but I chose not to exercise that right, and that's my reward. That's what made me feel okay. So, he's saying to the Corinthians, why do you have a problem with it? And why are you questioning my apostleship? And so not make full use of my rights in the gospel. And then Paul, beginning in verse 19, is going to lay out, here's, here's why I make these choices. Here's why I live the way I do. And this is the part that I think more applies to you and I than any other part of this passage. Because it should, in a sense, be the same guiding principle for our life. The thing that Paul is reminding us of is that if we're really going to 
make an impact for God. We've got to stay focused. Everything we do has got to be so purposeful, so intentional. We've got to always keep in the forefront of our minds why we're doing what we're doing. What, what's the reason for it? And Paul was very good at that. And I say that because I know in my own life, I get so easily distracted. And I've got to learn and I've got to ask God to help me stay focused on what God wants me to do and not get so easily distracted. Now, this is not a spiritual illustration, so I apologize. But it cracks me up every time I see it. And if you've never seen the movie, then you won't get it. But there's this cute little movie that came out a couple years ago called Up. And this dog is like squirrel. and like, squirrel! And it's like he gets distracted so easily. It's like he, he can't do anything without seeing some other animal and just, you know, going off. And I thought of that only because I think a lot of times as Christians, you know, instead of keeping our minds focused on Christ and centering our lives on Christ, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of that, and, and like Paul, that everything I did, I did for the sake of the gospel, that we're just, you know all over the place. And so I hope tonight that this part of the chapter will speak as much to you as it does to me. Great reminders. Notice, first of all, what Paul then says, beginning in verse 19. For once I am free from all, I can make myself a slave to all. Paul says, as a Christian, God has set me free, but He set me free in order that I might become who He created me to be. And it is actually my honor and choice. I willingly want to give myself wholly to serve others. He said that's the cool thing about being a Christ follower. Is I don't have to do this. I choose to do this because I realize from Christ's own example, this is the highest life. This is the best it gets on this side of glory in heaven. That's why Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for men. Jesus Christ's whole life was serving other people and showing that true fulfillment and satisfaction isn't living with myself as the belly button of the universe, as we say, and making it all about me and all about self, which is what the world says. That's how you and I find fulfillment and satisfaction. No, Jesus says you and I will find the highest abundant life when we lay down our lives for other people and we serve them and we put on the, the servant's towel as Jesus did and we're willing to wash other people's feet. That's the highest life. So Paul said, that's the great thing about being a Christian is when we serve, we, don't, we, we should never serve out of compulsion. We should never serve because of some weird motivation of guilt or manipulation. And, and churches are notorious for this. And I hope we never get to that point at the Oasis. Uh, I've told you this before and I'll say it again. I would rather shut down a ministry that right now exists if we can't find enough people to do it to where it's not a burden on any one or two people than to have a ministry and let people start to wear down and all of that. That's that. And that we, we shouldn't throw out things like, hey, we got a need over here and, you know, make people almost feel guilty and 
And so, you know, somebody ends up like we all know in churches, they volunteer for this and they really don't feel called to it. They don't feel gifted for it, but they feel like, well, if I don't do it and step forward, maybe nobody else will and it'll just, it'll just die. Well, guess what? Maybe it should die. Because maybe, maybe the only way that God's going to really motivate somebody else to step up as if it's left go for a while. And, and no ministry in a local church is really going to thrive with people in it who are doing it who really don't feel like that's their passion and that's what they're called to. So anyway, I get off there. I'm sorry. I did my own squirrel experience. Okay. Stay on point, Jeff. So Paul says, I give myself wholly to serve all in order... To gain even more people. To gain favor is what the word means. To win over, to persuade more people to Christ. So that's why he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to gain the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to gain those under the law. To those free from the law, I became like one free from the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under the law of Christ. To gain those free from the law. To the weak I became weak in order to gain the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means I may save some. Paul here wasn't giving us uh, a license to compromise our message and who we are. What he is telling us to do is that you and I as Christians need to be willing to adapt our manner of approach to the audience with which we're dealing with when it comes to presenting Christ in the gospel. He never compromised the gospel. He never compromised who he was. But what he did say was, for instance, if I know I'm speaking to a fellow Jew, the first thing I'm not going to do is enter into a conversation and go, you are going to hell and you did not accept Christ as you know, your Savior and how dare you and... And, and then begin to talk about all the, the things that are different. Paul's going to try to build a bridge. He's going to try to start out with the things that he and his fellow Jew maybe have in common to build a bridge so that this person will be willing to listen to what he has to say about Christ and the gospel. That's what Paul's saying here. I could say a lot more, but I need to move on. I need to get to the last couple verses. So Paul says, and here's the next key thing, besides the fact that he waived his right, even though he had the right, the next key thing is verse 23. I do all these things because of the gospel. The word because means the ground or reason, the foundation. Paul's saying, look, every day that I woke up, Everything that I did, every choice that I made, every decision I made, every conversation that I entered into, everything that I allowed the Spirit to lead me in, it was all for the furtherance of the Gospel. That was my focus. And I stayed focused. And that's why I think Paul was so successful. So influential. Made an impact because of his focus. I am challenged by this. I hope all of us are. I hope as a church we are. 
there's a lot of local churches that they get started with a certain focus, a certain a certain thing that they say, Here, here's what we are going to be about. But as the church grows and more people come, and whatever, they can tend to lose their focus. And I hope we never lose our focus. The simplicity of, I believe, what God calls us to as a church family and what He wants us to be about. But it's easy to do. We're all vulnerable to it. We all get caught up in life, in a sense, and lose what our focus is. And Paul's now going to go on to talk about why he did what he did, and hopefully it will inspire us to do the same. Because notice what Paul says. He says, do you not know that all the runners in a stadium compete, but only one receives the prize? Now, Paul knew that his audience in Corinth would be very familiar with this illustration because the Ismithian Games, like the Olympic Games over there in Greece, the Ismithian Games took place just a few miles outside of Corinth. And so anyone in Corinth that was around Corinth knew they had seen, in a sense, Olympic runners. They they saw that all the time. They understood what Paul was saying. And so he's saying, do you not know that all the runners in a stadium compete, but only one receives the prize? First of all, I want to talk about the word runner here. The word runner means one who exacts great effort to attain something. That's what the word runner means. I mean... Did you ever see somebody enter a race and run like this? Well, maybe I would if I was entering a race, but... No, I mean, if a runner's going to run and enter a race, a runner's going to run. And one of the things I think that Paul is saying is there's too many Christians who are satisfied with, well, I know Jesus is my Savior, and I'm just sort of going to just float into heaven. And He said, look, if we want to really win... If we want to make an impact for Christ, if we want to achieve our spiritual potential, if we want to seize all of God, we've got to be willing to run and exert some effort. He says also the word receive means to gain or obtain the prize, the award to the victor. So then he says, so run, spend yourself, Exert all your effort to win. In this context, the word win means to reach one's spiritual potential. To seize all God-given opportunities. Listen, the cool thing about spiritual, the spiritual race is that unlike the Ismithian Games or an Olympic race, only one person does win. The rest lose. But in the spiritual race that Paul's talking about, all Christians can win. Because we're not competing against each other. It's not like, okay, I'm running against you, and so I'm going to try to beat you, and you're going to lose, and I'm going to win. No, we all can be winners. And that's why we shouldn't try to compete with each other. We should all try to encourage and compliment each other. We should all help each other to win and reach our spiritual potential. Each competitor, verse 25, the word competitor is the Greek agonizomai. Well, you know what word we get in the English from that, right? Agony. But isn't that what you and I would have to go through if we wanted to compete 
We'd have to go into strict training. We'd have to exercise. We'd have to struggle. We'd have to fight. We'd have to overcome our flesh. We'd have to say no to the flesh. We'd have to deny self. We'd have to go on a, a maybe a, a strict regimen. Bodily discipline. And Paul's saying, as he's going to go on to say, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but it just flows. It's like, there's so many people in the world who deny themselves and sacrifice and I mean, discipline themselves and, and go through the rigors of training and all that. And Paul says they do it for something that's perishable. They do it for something that won't last. He says the cool thing about what God is offering to us is that when you and I run, if we exert this kind of effort and we're willing to put forth the effort as Christians like the world is for worldly things, he said we will gain things that will never, never die. They are eternal. They'll never wear out. And Paul says, so why is it that many times when you look around at the world, that the world is more dedicated to its worldly pursuits than Christians are to their faith? Why is it that we always have to challenge each other to be more committed and be devoted and be faithful? Eventually, that's got to come from within. That's why I tell people, even as a pastor, look, I, I never want you to feel like I'm ever, you know, putting you on a guilt trip if I say something like, hey, I hadn't seen you for a couple weeks ever, because I'm only doing that because I want you to know I missed you. That you are missed. But I don't want you to ever think like, you know, Jeff takes attendance and knows who's here and who's not here. No, that's not what it's about. Because to be very honest with you, if you don't want to be here... If that's not coming from deep inside your belly that you want to be here, then there should be no external motivation. Eventually, it's got to come from within. I mean, we can have people in our life who encourage us to pray or read the Bible, but eventually that breaks down. Eventually, you and I have to do it. We've got to take responsibility for it ourselves. And Paul said, that's why we as Christians have to adopt the mindset of an athlete. We have to be willing to put forth effort. Because what we are fighting for and what we are struggling for is so much more important than what these other people in the world struggle and fight for and give themselves for. As he goes on to say, we must, as a competitor, exercise self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, a corruptible. It will not last. And by the way, in the Ismithian games, literally it wasn't a crown. The Greek word here is Stephanos. But in the Ismithian games, it wasn't a crown. It was a laurel. It was, it was a bunch of leaves. And I realize, like some awards, it's not so much the award itself. It's the idea that the guy or the gal could go around, bro, I won the race for a whole year. You know, I understand that, but... It was a bunch of leaves on their head. And Paul says, they went through all of this for a bunch of leaves. He says, but we, an imperishable one, eternal, not subject to decay. So Paul says, good, I got five minutes. Verse 26. He said, so I do not run uncertainly. Going back to the runner. I do not run without clarity or direction. In other words, Paul's saying, again, we've got 
to learn to run the race of life with such purpose and such intention and such focus. How good would a runner be if the runner's just that? Well, I'll just run wherever I want to run. You know, I, I feel like running over here. No, when a runner's in a race, the race is from here to here. There is a finish line. There is something that they're focused on. And the only runners that are successful at all are the runners who have trained and the runners who, runners who keep their focus on the finish line. Not looking around at the other competitors, not looking behind them to see how, how you know, bad they're beating them or whatever. It's keeping their focus on the finish line. And Paul's saying, that's what we've got to do. We've got to get up every day with intention, purpose, and focus to our lives. That drives everything that we do, Paul said. Because that's how we can live at that kind of a level. He says, then he goes to boxing. He says, I don't box or fight like one that beats only air. I don't go out into the boxing ring and just close my eyes and go, I hope I did something. And that's what a lot of Christians do. It's like, oh, I'm just going to get out there and just hope my life counts for something, you know. And I'll just go here and there and everywhere. No, Paul said, when I lay back and I put my force into a punch, I know exactly where that punch is going to land. And I'm going to put forth all the force into that punch. And every punch that I'm punching for Christ is going to land. It's going to make contact with my, with my enemy. It's going to... It's going to connect. Because Paul says, I'm living with purpose, intention, and focus. I'm not just out there just flailing away, hoping one of my punches hits. He said, I'm not going to... Life is too short to waste that kind of energy. He says, if I'm going to put forth this kind of energy and effort, I'm going to make sure that when I throw that punch, it's going to connect with something. So that's why Paul goes on to say, instead I subdue my body, literally discipline. I put my body underneath what my goal is. I don't let my body, Paul says, control me. I say no. I say yeah, I'm the one in control here, Paul says, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But Paul says, I don't let my... He said, if I let my body do what it wanted to do, we'd be all over the place. I make it my slave. These words in the original language literally mean to lead with rigid discipline and training. So that after preaching to others, literally proclaiming Christ in such a public manner, I myself will not be disqualified. And like the runners or boxers or people who participated in the Ismithian Games or the Olympic Games back then... They could lose their reward by being disqualified, by bending or breaking the rules. And Paul says, I, I don't want to live that way. I want to follow my Lord. I want to live with focus, intentionality, and purpose every day. I want to make every punch count that I, that I can throw. I want to make everything that I do count. Because everything I do, Paul says, is for the gospel. That's what it's all about. And Paul wanted the Corinthians to get their focus back. Because 
the church was filled with people in Corinth that just, they lost their focus. And that's part of the reason why the false teachers came in and, and were leading them astray. They lost their focus. Folks, I know, because I know in my own life, it's hard to keep our focus. There are so many distractions out there in the world today, and even within Christianity. And I think Paul is encouraging all of us, don't let others try to put you into their mold. Paul said, I didn't fit their mold. I wasn't the preacher that they wanted me to be. I didn't do things the way they wanted. So they rejected me. Paul said, that's fine. I know I'm doing what God wants me to do. You follow the Lord. Don't live this short life that God gives us to try to please everybody and to try to meet other people's expectations. It doesn't work anyway. Live for the Lord. And every day, let's all of us be encouraging each other and challenging each other to live with the kind of purpose, intentionality, and focus that Paul lived his life with. That every decision, every choice, everything that he did, it had such focus to it because his whole life was about Christ and exalting Christ and promoting Christ to others. And if you and I really would capture that, not only would we individually begin to see things happen in our own lives and how God could, even in greater ways than we could ever imagine, work through us, the same thing would be true with our church. We would really begin to see God even... I mean, God's already using this church, but I think it could go up to a whole other level. So let's encourage each other. So hard to stay focused, but let's pray for one another. And let's encourage each other to stay focused on what God has called us to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us of really what life should be all about. As Paul said to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ. And so God, I, I pray that for those of us who may have been distracted lately and we've lost our focus on what our lives should be all about and what we're living for, God, I pray that tonight would be such an encouragement to get that focus back. Because God, like Paul said to the Corinthians, when we truly are focused on you and living for you, there's no greater fulfillment and satisfaction in life than willingly being, being servants of you and, and servants to others. And not making it all about us. And so God, again, just remind us of these principles throughout the week to come. And, and God... I just get so excited every Sunday and Tuesday because I know I'm going to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But Lord, I especially just look forward to, to this Sunday with a new series in the book of Philippians starting and, and our baptism in the afternoon. And God, I just, I just know that with the new people who are coming and stuff, it's just going to be another very special day together. So God, I pray in my own life that I would take Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week to just prepare myself so that when I come on Sunday, that, that my presence and my ministry will just be the overflow of my fellowship with you the rest of this week. God, go with us. Give us a great night. Take us all home safely. And Lord, thank you 
Thank you for working in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.